once you identify a good company that has a distinct moat competitive advantage and has a, a very good founder, it's never a bad time to invest in a great company or a good company. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. We have a great guest for you this week. Rudy Klein-Thomas, he is the managing partner of Mastery. He is also a partner with F9 Strategies. He's one of the founders of the Players Tech Summit, which I had the pleasure of attending at Bloomberg in San Francisco last week. Rudy teams with Golden State Warriors star Andre Iguodala as business partners on investments in approximately 25 different startup companies. This duo has found great success in Silicon Valley and beyond. Rudy, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Good. And yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the invitation to the Bloomberg Players Tech Summit last week. Can you share with our listeners the story of how you and Andre got involved with that event with Bloomberg? Because it was a really impressive event. Well, I'm, I'll take it back, actually, even before Bloomberg. Um, a good friend of mine and, and former client, uh, his name was Roger Mason Jr., used to work at the NBA Players Association. Yes. And he had taken an interest in uh, what we had been doing um, just from our personal relationship. He knew what we were doing. Um, in the Bay and said, you know what, this would be interesting if uh, we could create a platform uh, for a lot more players. It's important for them to see this. Um, and I agreed. And um, he put together the, the initial workings of uh, the NBPA's um, Tech Summit. And uh, it was it was pretty successful. Um, and we actually made it bigger. And we took it, we partnered with Bloomberg the following year, which was last year, which was our first annual with Bloomberg. So I give a lot of the credit to some of the folks at the uh, NBA Players Association and specifically Roger Mason Jr. Yeah, it was really interesting being in that room because, you know, back in the day, it used to be that athletes thought about business towards the end of their career when they were in the twilight. Hey, how am I going to transition into the business world when I'm not playing any- anymore? And I'm looking around that room and I see someone like Jalen Brown who tweeted out this morning, I graduated from high school 38 months ago. <laughs> he's 21 <laughs> years old, and he's in that room. And instead of playing Fortnite or instead of playing video games, he's in that room. And I was struck by the number of young players who are at the start of their career who are already thinking about business. I'm sure you noticed that as well. Yeah, I think uh, you can attribute it to a lot of different things nowadays. I think, uh, you know, Jay-Z, from a cultural standpoint, has... Uh, made everyone aware of the, the myriad of business opportunities that there are outside of, you know, his profession. Um, we all looked up to him. Uh, LeBron has done a tremendous job with Maverick Carter in extending his um, his reach as well in the business community. Um, and, and others have followed suit as well. Um, again, from the cultural standpoint, you know, you have uh, um, Sean Combs, um, who's been a leader from that aspect as well, too. So um, I think, you know, from, from a grand scheme of things, 
Um, we can all go back to, to Michael Jordan, you know, I think even from a branding perspective and what he was able to do with Nike and brand Jordan and what that's meant to him and, um, and his wealth. I think that we've all, you know, look to, to extend our reach in many different ways. I think now there's just more opportunities and uh, there's a lot more press in reference to it. So, you know, the kids are reading about it much earlier. Um, you know, parents are more involved as well, too, in understanding um, the, the reach of these athletes. Before we talk about your partnership with Andre, I want to talk about you and go back to the, the very beginning for you. Uh, I read a story that in seventh grade, your school had a stock picking challenge and you did well with that. Your dad went to business school. Your mom worked for a bank. Maybe you can talk about how you went down this path of business and investments. Yeah, I'll, uh, it's it's funny. I don't think even that, that story said it all. But uh, it was Mrs. Norton. She was my seventh grade math teacher. Um, I remember it to this day. Um, she gave us uh, – she wanted us to understand and learn the stock market, and she allowed us to pick stocks. I think we got 10000 bucks, and we were able to pick five <laughs> stocks and uh, buy the stocks. Um, and it became a contest. And I, and I know that I led all the way up until, like, the last two weeks, and CBS stock uh, tanked in those last two weeks, and I came in second place, but I never forgot it. But that's when I was hooked. I was hooked from then on. Um, from then on. And uh, when I started working, I, I had my first job in uh, eighth grade, going into ninth grade, and um, I started saving my money. And um, I think sophomore or junior year, um, my parents allowed me to start investing. And that's that's really when I caught the bug and, and got into it, and, and I didn't look back. And just to even take it a little bit further back, when, when I was young, my dad uh, was a hotel executive, and when, um, you know, the, the magazines, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't throw the magazines away that they had at the hotel, he'd have them, he'd bring them home. So as a youngster, I was reading, you know, Time, Newsweek, um, and you name it, um, as a child. And, you know, most of those publications, you know, they were, they were focused a lot on business. The business articles were the ones that I gravitated to. So I've always had it around me. Um, it's something that I've always thought about, and, and it's kind of how my mind's always been framed. Now, that's really cool. So I got to ask you, when you're young and you first started investing, what were you looking for when you said, I'm going to invest in this stock? Like, what got you to invest in that stock? Oh, I mean, as a kid, I, I mean, I invested in one of my first stocks. Was, uh, I think my first stock was Dave & Buster's. And the only reason <laughs> you know, I invested in Dave & Buster's is because, obviously, it was new at the time. And I thought it was, like, the best phenomenon in the world. So the fact that they had a stock, I couldn't, I couldn't have been more excited to invest in that company. I think I bought it at, if I can remember, it was, like, at 14. It, it hit 27. In a couple of years, I thought it was going to go all the way to 100, and then it went back down to 18, and I think I sold it. But, um, but yeah, that was the first stock that I ever bought was Dave & Buster's. They had just opened one in, uh, not too far away from my house. You were thinking about early retirement on the Dave & Buster yeah, exactly, stock. Work. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. How'd you know, Brian? So let's talk about how you and Andre met. You know, we had Andre on the show a few weeks ago, and, and he touched on it a little bit. But from your side what did, of the... What did he say, actually? What did he say? Our, our stories always vary for some odd reason. Sometimes he gives himself a little bit too much credit <laughs> on how we met. Let me hear his story first, and then I'll give you the real story. So I can't remember the player's name, but he said uh, he had a teammate, oh, okay. and you worked with that teammate and he got to know you and you guys would just chit chat and then you'd start to send him some interesting information and he was like hey this guy knows his stuff 
and that a, a relationship developed out of that. That's that was essentially yeah, his good. story. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much a lot of how it started. Like, oh, to to Herbert Hill, um, who who went to school with me at Providence for introducing me to Andre. He got drafted in the second round by the by the 76ers. Um, but I think at the time, to even be more specific, I think Andre was was purchasing a uh, condo or was trying to purchase a condo or being talked into it, and he was kind of lukewarm about the proposition. And um, we started having general conversations about finance and or why it was good versus bad. And I kind of uh, started sending him articles and references to the market and, and why I thought it wasn't a good proposition and, you know, our relationship, you know, that's how, that's how it started. You know, I, I think the biggest thing too, I think the biggest thing too, which was different, it wasn't business as, as well. We, we, we had a keen interest in a lot of similar things um, off the court as well too. I think that, that we, we usually don't talk about that, but uh, we definitely, uh, we definitely had a keen interest on in a lot of off the court uh, interest. So I think that that kind of drew us closer together as well. It definitely just wasn't business. It makes sense. You know, Rich Kleiman has been on this show and you know, he's described his relationship with uh, KD as like a younger brother. And, you know, they come right. from different backgrounds, but there's a trust and a bond that exists there between the two of them. And from afar, I, I see that with you and Andre. It seems like there's a trust there, a mutual respect, and that you guys work together really well. I, I read a quote from you. Um, and it was about Andre, and it said the reason why he'll have more influence is because he's more accessible. People can see their lives and careers as parallel to his versus LeBron. People can identify with Andre more than the stars. I think that's true, but explain that quote a little bit more about Andre. Well, I, I said that in, in, in retrospect to a lot of the other guys in the league. That's what the quote was for. So I think, you know, until recently, most most individuals in in the NBA and or athletes specifically, they didn't think that they had the access to do certain things um, off the court, whether it's, you know, um, whether it was from a brand perspective and endorsements and or business opportunities uh, because they weren't elite and or they weren't thought of as stars or superstars. And that's not the truth at all. Um, And I think that, um, you know, Andre, has only been to one all-star game before he's not deemed a superstar. Um, I think that he, you know, in essence, if you look at the numbers, um, he's, he's more so, you know, the standard athlete versus the LeBron James's of the world, you know? And I think that the fact that he's able, he's been able to, um, to chart this path in his career has made these opportunities more accessible to more athletes and, and, and made them more real. And that's, that's exactly what I meant. Well, and I totally agree with that. And being in that room last week at Bloomberg, I could see the respect that the athletes who were in that room had for Andre and for you and for Keith Astorbrook. And, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because, you know, you can just tell when other athletes, you know, it's like game recognizes game, right? Like you can tell right. that when those athletes walk in that room, they're like, all right, these guys have it dialed in on the business end of things, and they're the ones who brought us together. They're the connectors, and, and I could see that respect from everyone in that room. So you're right. While he may not be you know, a multi-time league MVP and a superstar, in your arena, I, I think you guys are superstars. No, I appreciate that. Um, definitely, definitely don't look at ourselves as the case. You know Andre is the, the most humble guy in the world. Um but I think that we just realized that there was an opportunity. And, and, you know, I think 
three years ago, we kind of sat down and realized, you know what, this is uh, this is something that's interesting to us. We can sit here and continue making a lot of money and, and, and take advantage of these opportunities. But how awesome would it be if we could share it, you know, um, with, with other athletes? And uh, we thought that that was much more powerful and um, and uh, it, it could it could do much. It, it could have much more value from that standpoint versus just us just, you know, doing it for ourselves. One of the things that has changed with the landscape is it used to be that, you know, when you were a pro athlete, people would come to you and say, we're going to pay you X to be the face of our product. And and one of the quotes from Andre is the scene for endorsements is going to change drastically. It's not just taking a check and putting your face on something anymore. And, you know, you guys are doing a lot of equity deals uh, I mentioned at the start of this conversation, you've got about 25 companies that you're invested in through F9 Strategies. When you and Andre are preparing for a pitch, walk me through that process. How do you decide, A, we'll take this meeting in the first place, and B, here's how we're going to prep for this pitch? Ooh, I don't think we prep for pitches as much. Um, we get, you know, we get in a... a unbelievably amount of deal flow now versus than you know than we did before i i would say that we get we get just as good as deal flow as as some of the top vcs you know in the valley for sure um i'd say for you know for the most part uh everything is looked at from an individual standpoint um obviously i think uh we look at it from an investment standpoint first and foremost so you know uh you know metrics such as market size um execution um, you know, the founder's background and, and, and just building the relationship directly with the founder. Um, those are the, the aspects that we look at in looking at these specific companies. Now, as it attributes to, you know, how we can possibly help them, I mean, again, those, those conversations vary from company to company, as you can imagine. You know, it was interesting to me being at the event at Bloomberg last week and then talking to Andre uh, a few weeks back. They... At the event, Jeff Jordan was on stage, and then Andre's conversation, they stressed the importance of investing in the founder and the founder's energy and the founder's vision. And Jeff Jordan talked about, I may write a $50 million check based on a four-hour meeting with someone and the vibe that I get from that meeting. And I think a lot of people think of investing as spreadsheets and, you know, return on investment and maybe it's simpler than that maybe it is the founders of the company and the energy that they bring is that an important factor to you like it is to andre it is an important factor but jeff jordan was being a little bit nice he's he's a killer by the way (laughs) he was being nice he's a killer for for the most part i I, i've definitely seen and and learned a lot from him in, in evaluating these companies and all the different metrics that he uh that he uses to evaluate. I think, you know, the founder is, is probably either one or two, um, right up there with market size and, and moat, shall I say, um, in, in evaluating these companies, uh, because obviously the founder has to execute. Everybody has a great idea. Um, someone can have a strategic advantage, but you know, the execution is the key here as well too. And, and being able to decipher if that individual can execute, I think is a lot of what you know, separates VCs for the most part. You know, you can look at a spreadsheet all day. We can all see the same things. Um, but uh, being able to evaluate uh, human behavior and understanding the characteristics of a founder and, and what makes them tick and or how they execute is, a, is very much a differentiator. I think a lot of people wonder, all right, you invested in a startup. 
what happens then? Explain that. How often do you meet with the company? Uh, are you giving them advice? Are you opening doors for them? How does it work after you've made the investment? That's a good question. I mean, a lot of people always ask me, like, so what do you do? Like, you know, what do you spend your time doing? I get that question more so than anything. And, you know, I'd say most of my time, a lot of it is just, um, you know, I have a very deep network with a lot of the CEOs that I've that we've invested in and, and seeing how they scale their companies, uh, you know, going through the, the process with them and doing so. Not only do I learn a lot, but I think that we also possibly add value to a lot of these companies as well, too. And, and what we're trying to do moving forward is, you know, bring more athletes um, into those roles and into those conversations and in learning these processes as well. Um, I mean, I feel like I went to business school when I got access um, in the Bay, and it was it was unbelievably um, empowering. And I think, you know, all the athletes that you saw there last week, um, you saw how attentive they were in, in learning and understanding. I mean, that was me seven years ago and, and just soaking up all this information. And it's uh, it's not – it doesn't feel like school because I, I, I hated school. So um, <laughs> it's a little bit it, – it, <laughs> It's a little bit different when you see a lot of these companies that you're using, you know, you understand how they scale, how these founders think. Um, it changes your thought process into even how you think about, you know, your life, um, shall I say. So it's really, really fun, interesting to learn how these companies scale, um, especially the companies a lot of that we've invested in, how fast they've scaled and how they're, you know, they're used by millions and, and millions of people um, on a daily basis. It's quite fascinating. The other thing that's really changed, and I think you and, and Rich Kleiman are, are like the models for this, is it used to be someone would help an athlete and the athlete gave the money manager, the financial planner, their money and said, go turn this into more money. With you and Rich, you guys are putting your own money in and it, your own skin in the game and you're going to the meetings and your partner. So you have risk in the game as well as the athlete. And that's got to thing to me, you know, the athlete probably has more respect and more trust. It's like, hey, if they're taking the same risk I am, like, this has got to be pretty good. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think you heard it from me and speaking to Kevin, uh, you know, a couple of uh, last week, um, we, we touched on him doing the work and him doing his homework, you know, so. You know, it wasn't a situation where Rich said, you know what, let's invest in this company. You know, I think you had a keen understanding that Kevin actually knows what's going on. He right. has a keen interest in, in this, right? You know, um, there are a lot of athletes that I'm, you know, that I have personal relationships with um, that weren't there last week. And, you know, um, it, the standpoint is because, you know, as they might have a keen interest in it, but some of them aren't willing to do the work, you know. Um, it's not it's not what we call spray and pray, you know. Throw as many checks <laughs> as you can out there, right, and pray something else happens. Um, and I feel for a lot of the financial advisors out there because I know that there's pressure, you know. This whole tech and athlete investing thing is quite hot. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's the talk of the town now. Um, but it's not for everybody. And I think it's very important to understand that these guys need to understand that the metrics of, of what investing really is out here, um, that most, you know, a lot of money will be lost. Um, and you have to do the homework first before you put any money into play. And that's exactly why we created the platform. The platform, for the most part, is, is just as much, it's just as important to get guys to invest versus getting guys not to invest as well, too. You know, it's, it's very much an education platform. It's not an investing platform. Yeah, it's interesting, especially in the NBA. The players make so much money now 
that you could argue, you know what, just put it in low risk and, and let it earn interest and don't risk it at all. But one of the things that's interesting about athletes and the mindset of the athlete is they're competitive, right? They, they want to be in on things. They want to grow things. They want to have their own legacy. So the athletes I speak with and certainly the ones I spoke with at your event last week, like being successful in business is almost as important to them as being successful in their sport. Do you see that same thing? Yeah, and I think the tide's changing as well, I think drastically. I think a lot of guys coming in now, especially the young guys, I've I've been able to talk to a lot of the young rookies this year um, that have reached out. But um, uh, a lot of them, I mean, the way they're thinking now is, I mean, it's earlier than ever, and it's just as important. And as they grow, I mean, again, Jalen's only out 38 months. That's, you know, Jalen's the guy who I, who, uh, who I have a very, very deep relationship with. And, um, I mean, he's been thinking about this, you know, ever since he got into college. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely changing. I mean, you see it, you get it. Um, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with a lot of the money that's out there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money. These guys are making so much money. Um, and uh, there's so many different opportunities out there for them. And I think the most important thing is that all of them want to learn. You know, all of them learn in different ways. Um, the timeline in reference to when they're ready to learn is different as well, too. But at the end of the day, I think they all want to learn and they all want to be empowered. And, and, and that's exactly what, what I'm holding on to and trying to do so. Well, that's a neat thing about your event at Bloomberg last week was I could see the athletes in the room wanted to learn from the business people and the business people in the room wanted to mingle with the athlete and talk about how they may be able to do business together. So that was that was really neat to see that combination of uh, people that you had in the room. I want to ask you about uh, emerging things that people are investing in that I feel like we're on the cusp of. We've got eSports, sports gambling is going to become legal in the U.S., and, and I think people are trying to wrap their mind around that. I know those were topics at your event. And then analytics, and it could be analytics on player health. It could be analytics on sleep patterns. It could be analytics on ticket sales and and customer habits. Those are areas that I see emerging in sports. What are the areas that you see as hot for investments and and people are paying attention to around sports and tech? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, sports and tech is is very... uh I'd say, Brian, it's it's almost more so a narrow view. From a sports and tech standpoint, um, I mean, again, I think a lot of things that you touched on, you know, the, the analytics and the data, that, that hasn't gone away. That, that Those conversations have been going on for the last five or six years. You know, um, the, the data and the analytics are being used and uh, to, to do so many different things nowadays. And, you know, I think uh, there are a lot of founders and CEOs that are figuring out new ways to use the, um, the data and analytics. Um, I will say this one, you know, this one thing about sports companies specifically, uh, they, they don't scale like, you know, a lot of the other companies and uh, sorry to any founders that are out there that are, you know, that are killing me, you know, behind their breath right now, <laughs> the saying so, but, uh, but yeah, they don't, they, they really don't. And um, they're, they're really, uh, they're, fr- they're from a narrow standpoint, a narrow view right now. Um, you know, a lot of these analytic companies as well too. Um, but we, we have a broad base. I mean, I think initially, a lot of, uh, our, from our network side of things, they, they approach us with sports, um, investments. And, um, you know, about two or three years, I said, two, three years ago, I said to, to, to everyone, like, listen, you know, we, we can understand other things other than sports, you know? Um, 
let's let's figure out what's scaling, what makes sense. And, uh, you know, we, we've opened it up to so many different types of investments to, you know, fintech to SaaS um, companies, um, all of which scale faster than sports companies, to be honest with you. And, and you know, on the sports, on, on the software side as well, too, um, there was a, there's been some interesting um, uh, software companies in the sports space um, that are doing quite well now as well, too. So um, from that software component side on the sports side of things, um, those companies are doing quite well. How many proposals do you get per week? And also, I guess, what's the best way? Like, I'm sure you go to Warriors games. I know you go, go to a lot of events. How do you feel comfortable discussing investment opportunities with people? What's the best way for someone to approach you if they've got uh, something they want to talk to you about? That's a good question. I uh, There's a couple ways. It's, it's definitely a filter. I, I definitely have a team behind me that, that helps me filter um, uh, the, the myriad of, of, of opportunities. Uh, I, we get at least 50 a week. Wow. Um, you know, Andre doesn't even tell me how many that he gets, I'm sure, um, to him directly through social media. I'm not on social media, but uh, I can only imagine how many he gets directly uh, in social media, which I'm sure he doesn't even filter or go through. But, I mean, even me directly, there, there's at least 50 a week that, that we see and, we, uh, and that I have to go through. I will say that um, generally speaking, um, I have a very close network of, of, uh, of investors um, in all different stages um, from the venture community that, I'm, that I, I generally take most of their deal flow first and foremost and look at it first. Um, obviously, they've done well for themselves. Um, it's already, it already comes pre-filtered um, uh, with the due diligence of their teams involved. So, I generally take those first, and then you know I go out from there. I'm definitely looking at more early stage opportunities uh, now, more so than ever, just from the standpoint of you know experiencing some exits, um, understanding execution much better, understanding scale much better, um, and and the different um, competitive strategies that are out there. So um, it's all good, and, and and definitely widening our base as we move forward. When's the last time you and Andre disagreed on whether or not to invest? You wanted to invest and he didn't, or vice versa? Ooh, good question. Um, the last investment we did not agree on. And how do you resolve that? You know, if one of you wants to do one thing and yeah, the other, yeah. If we don't, if we don't agree, we don't, we won't do it. You know. Um, it's as simple as that. There's not too many that we don't agree on because we have extensive conversations. Most of the stuff that makes sense, like it, it makes sense, and we're just like, aha. Um, there's certain things that we've invested in together that I didn't totally get. One of them was hooked. So that's just doing really, really well right now. And uh, he got it off the bat, and it took me a long time to get it. You know, um, To be honest with you, I did it just because you know, he was so keen on understanding the market, and I, and I realized that I didn't understand it. And um, we just saw the founder was actually at our event. And um, I was just, you know, I was thanking him and her uh, for, for pushing it through. Um, she's, made, she's made us look really smart nowadays in reference to how she's been able to scale her company. But I think the last one, I think that we, we missed GOAT at a very early stage. We, have, we ended up investing in it, but he wasn't too keen on GOAT um, the very early stage. I mean, we, we could have gotten in very early. We got in later, but I always give him a hard time for that. Oh, and um, I missed uh, I missed a company that I can't say off the top right now. And the founder just told me that if I had given him a hundred thousand dollars, it'd be worth twelve million oh. in the last you know last uh, two and a half years. So oh. he made sure. I actually saw him 
uh, the day after our event. He made sure that he had uh, breakfast with me the next morning. And uh, he made sure that I, he told me that I was the third person to see the deck. I saw it before all the VCs. And I told him, honestly, I just didn't get it at the time. I definitely get it now. But, you know, uh, definitely missed that one. But, you know, those things come and go. So, you know, what are you going to do? So, I, I mean, how do you learn from that? Look, I, I invest in stocks and things. And there have been times where I'm like, God, I should have gotten in on that earlier. Or I shouldn't have sold that. I'm not doing it at the level that, that you and Andre are. But I think we all learn our lessons from past experiences. In a case like that, how what did you learn from that? What was your takeaway? So we we uh, we got a chance to meet Warren Buffett um, a couple years ago. Went down to Omaha and met him uh, individually. And I think one of the biggest things and key learnings from Warren was, you know, once you identify a good company that has a distinct moat competitive advantage um, and and has a, a very good founder, it doesn't matter when you invest in the company. Hmm. You know, so. Um, you know, he just recently bought Apple, I think it was, you know, in the last year. Um, and we can all see it as a mature company. There's people now saying that Apple's too expensive. You know, I think first trillion dollar company, yet, you know, the most savvy investor that we've known in our lifetime is, is just invested. He might have been the last guy in the door. Who knows, you know? But again, um, it just, it's, it's alluding to what he said. It's never a bad time to invest in a great company or a good company. So, um, I don't look at it as a, as a missed opportunity. It's a, it's a company that we eventually invested in anyway. Um, and we, you know, we've made some money investing. We just didn't get in as early as, uh, as the founder would have liked. So that's it. This is the Warriors' last season in Oakland before the team moves to San Francisco. Is that going to change anything that you and Andre do because you're in San Francisco playing now? Is it going to make things easier? Is it going to make it harder? Does it have any impact on anything? Not one impact, not one thing. I just feel sorry for the folks in Oakland that are some of the best fans, if not the best fan base in, in all the NBA. So um, their team being displaced. But uh, in reference to business, it's not going to change one thing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but that's going to be, from every rendering I see, that arena in San Francisco is going to be no joke. It looks like it's going to be really, really nice and you know, probably more – Places to do business, maybe not as great of an experience for the fan because it won't be as intimate, but it certainly looks like it's going to be a great place to network and uh, make deals. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think uh, the, it's it's a great – people look at it a little bit differently, I think, nowadays. I think uh, the people that usually come in and visit and look around and realize, like, you know, there's – you know, on court side, it's, it's really consumed with a lot of venture capitalists and – they, they assume that people are doing business deals there. And I'm not sure how much business really gets done, you know, while people are watching their favorite team play, you know, because uh, they, they are very much rabid fans. But um, I, the, the networking is, is definitely great. And um, I, I've definitely enjoyed being part of that mix as well. All right. You mentioned earlier in the interview, and I, I found this in my research on you, you're not on social media. Why would you not be on social media? Like, I have friends who... No, listen to my why, argument. Why you, I can't believe that you brought this up. This is crazy. No, man, listen to this. This is my argument, because I have a lot of friends who work in sports, and they have what I call right. the the voyeur account, right? Like, 
No one knows right. it's them, or even if they do know it's them, like they never put a post out. So you're not like. Did Andre? Did, did Andre tell you to ask me this question? <laughs> did, he, did he put you up to this? He did not put me up to this, but like I'm Nobody wondering. Put you up to this. Like, tell me, you at least have like a, a burner account somewhere that you can like monitor social media. Like, you you you're not just like not in it at all, right? Nah, nah. You know what happened was it was like might have been seven years ago. So I started out. I had a I had a Facebook account way back, um, probably like. 10 years ago and uh I, I followed it with a twitter account but what happened was my twitter account for some reason it locked me out and i forgot the password <laughs> but what happened but what happened before that was i remember one day sitting back and i was like you know what? i'm spending so much time reading all these news feeds and doing all this stuff on twitter and i felt i realized like it was really taking me taking me away from my focus and uh once i stopped it i realized how much more time i had on my hands hmm. And then, you know, with the proliferation of Instagram and Snapchat, I just said to myself, for some reason, I just I have no interest in being on social media. I'd rather just stay focused. And, you know, you're surrounded with so many, you know, everybody else is on it. You know, there's, I still feel like I don't really miss anything because if there's something like, you know, a new story or, you know, something interesting or funny or, or someone in my network, I, I generally hear about it or someone sends me something. So. I really don't feel like I'm I'm that much out of the mix, but most you know everybody thinks it's crazy that I'm, I don't have a, a social account. It is kind of crazy, but I get it. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Um, when you and Andre are just hanging out, because I think that's an important part of this too. Uh, again, Katie and Rich, they'll you know, they told me, oh, we'll watch Billions together. We'll you know go have wine together. Like, what do you and Andre do just to build that bond and you know not talk shop necessarily, but uh, just hang out? We spend a lot of time together. I mean, you know, in different aspects. I mean, you know, even when we go to conferences and stuff like that, um, it's generally time that we we spend you know hanging out and together. I, you know, I go to his house and um, obviously he's a dad now with, with two children, but, uh, we talk about everything. There's, there's really not too much that we don't speak about in reference to life. I mean, we've been together now for, it's been over 10 years. I think we've known each other for close to 13. Uh, we're not too far away in age. So we've, we've literally grown up together. You know, um, he took a chance on me when I was very new and young in the business. And, uh, you know, we've been through a lot together. So you can only imagine, you know, knowing each other for, for 13 years. I think 13 years ago he was 21, you know. So um, so you can only imagine how much growth personally we've both done since, since that time that we initially met. So we've definitely been through a lot together. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we talk about everything under the sun. That's great. And uh, you can see the mutual respect and the trust that exists there. Last question. What are some things that you and Andre still want to do business-wise? I, I look at his uh, career right now, and you know he's in great shape, but you've got to think in the next five years, maybe he, he decides to hang it up and concentrate full-time on business. What are some things that you guys have talked about that you're like, hey, I'd like to do this. Like, Does he want to own a sports team or have a piece of a team one day? Are there things – I know he's an avid golfer. What are things that you guys want to do Post career for Andre. Well, I don't. I don't. There, there. Actually, to be honest with you, there's really no plan. Um, there was no plan up until this point, and I think that we really want to keep it that way. Um, his favorite word, I think he. I tell him that he uses it a little too much. Is, is organic, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, things have things have happened organically as to this the new opportunities that are presented themselves, and we've kind of just let them 
let them present itself. I mean, you saw exactly what the conference is. I, I couldn't have told you the day before the conference that, you know, we, uh, you know, what if, what's happened after the conference um, would have happened, you know? So again, nothing's been planned. And I think that that's interesting that we can honestly, you know, we can either pivot or go with the flow and, and, and see what, what the future holds. I know for him personally, I mean, he has an, a, a fascination with golf um, that's, <laughs> that's out of this world. So I, I definitely know in, in some respect golf, something in you know um pertaining to golf is definitely in his future obviously business as well too but uh the guy likes golf like no other so and i haven't adopted golf yet and i, and I don't i don't see golf in my future yet but uh, you know from a bit from a from a business standpoint um i told him about six years ago uh that you know it was my it, it was my duty and just being affiliated with him to make sure that he has as many opportunities to do as many different things after his career is over and I think that we're well on our way. No, you guys are doing a great job. It was so great to meet you in person at last week's Bloomberg Players Tech Summit. I think you guys are building something special there. Again, you can see the respect that everyone in that room had for you and Andre. And, and they knew that you guys were the ones bringing everyone together. And when you're a connector, you're in a, a powerful spot. So you, know, you guys are doing a great job, like I said, in Silicon Valley and beyond. And I think the sky's the limit for both of you. And Great meeting you, and uh, thanks for taking the time on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for grilling me so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we got to see what Andre says about this social media part. Like, maybe he's going to hold your feet to the fire even more so now. He's going to be like, hey. Never that. Never that. That'll only make me want to stay away even more, so he knows better than that. Two sure. things after this. He's going to get you on social media, and he's going to get you on the golf course. I can see it. Golf, definitely, probably before. <laughs> I'm just so... I'm, I, I'd have to compete with him, and he has he has a lot of years and a lot more time than I do to, to, to perfect the craft, so I don't, I don't think that I even want to get into it. I see down the road uh, Andre and Steph Curry doing some kind of golf company. Like I just think that makes too much sense because they love golf so much. Yeah, they love it. They play they, during the season. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that they spend more time playing golf than playing basketball, but they definitely spend as much free time as possible playing golf. Um, and, and they're definitely attached to hip in, in reference to golf. So um, it'd be natural for them to do something together moving forward in that lane. Rudy Klein-Thomas, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you, man. Take care now. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. 
Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new sports business radio intern. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our sports business radio roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio, rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barrett. My guest is tennis icon Chris Everett. He was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show... Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.